Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to a new week. Happy Monday to you all. It is September 28th, 2020. Wow, things are just moving 100 miles an hour. I feel like we've been in a six-month whirlwind. Uh, You know, when you think back to February, March, somewhere in there, uh, you know, the whole COVID thing started up, and my high school kid is just now... Uh, getting to go back to school in person two days a week. Uh, in this time, we've had hurricanes. We've had a, an amazing wildfire season here in California and throughout the West. Uh, we had the police shootings, which led to protests and uh, you know racial unrest in our country still going on. Uh, more recently, we had the passing of RBG and this immediate attempt to fill her position uh, we had, we're closing in on the next presidential election, and it just makes you ask yourself, what's next? What's, you know, what could be coming next? And it, it kind of feels like we're treading water just under the surface, and that we can't really come up for a de- decent breath of air. So that's where we're at. That's where I'm at, what I'm feeling. Um, I don't know about you across the country, how how you've been impacted by the last six months or what it looks like specifically to you. But obviously we're all in this together. It's These are things that are impacting each and every one of us no matter where we're at. So let's move into our minute of transparency. Uh, today I wanted to talk about sleep patterns. I don't know why, but it just became something I was thinking about the other day. And it fits well with our topic. So, so let's talk sleep patterns. Or more specifically, are you a morning person or a night person? Uh, Before we get into that discussion, though, I have to be honest with you. I don't really believe in the idea that you are one or the other, right? That it's just who you are or that it's an element of your personality. Uh, Now, I haven't done a lot of research to back this up, so I can't really say with scientific certainty. Uh, But it's always been my belief that, that you can control your sleep patterns. Basically, that you get to decide if you're going to be a morning person or a night person simply by changing your behavior. So for me, the following statements ring true. If I stay up until 2 a.m. every night, I'm going to want to sleep more often in the morning. And if I force myself to go to bed at 10 o'clock each night, then I could more easily get up at 5 a.m. every morning and do things. Now, my own life is an illustration of this. Uh, I think there have been seasons seasons in the past, uh, probably during college or shortly thereafter, where I seem to stay out late every night, and it made it really hard for me to get up in the morning. And then there have been seasons more recently where I was super diligent about going to bed on time, which allowed me to get up around 5.30 or 6 every morning in order to write. And then there was that one crazy summer where I worked at a dairy farm and fed cows at 3.30 in the morning. And I don't even know where that falls into the equation. But what I've learned about myself is that I didn't really feel more comfortable 
in either scenario. It was simply the way of life at the time, and I enjoyed each equally. And for me, that's really the key. Being a morning person or a night person is really more about your lifestyle than it is your personality. Back when I was uh, working in the field of counseling, I was reading Dr. Phil's book, Life Strategies, uh, and he, he lists 10 life laws to live by. And a few of them seem to fit well with this concept. So life law number two, you create your own experience uh, with ideas like don't be a victim, accept responsibility for your life, and own the behavior that you choose to engage in. Uh, life law number three, people do what works. Uh, this is really the whole idea that you do things in life because there's a payoff. Even if you don't fully understand what the payoff is, you're doing things because they're working for you in some way. Uh, life law number five, life rewards action, which suggests that if you work hard, good things will happen. Now, this is dangerous because there are many people who work really hard and never become successful or never see the benefit of that hard work. But I guess the important thing is that at least if you're putting in the hard work, there's a chance to see movement. No action means no movement, for sure. And then life law number 10, you have to name it before you can claim it. So this basically says, you know, you can't sit around dreaming that things will get better or that they'll be different someday. The only way that this will ever happen is if you get serious about it. Serious enough to name it and set goals in order to get there. Interesting, right? If you apply these four laws to your sleep habits, uh, here's what you get. You decide if you want to be a morning person or a night person. Right now, your sleep patterns are probably based on what works for you, and it is paying you off somehow. But if you were to take control over your sleep patterns and actively work to change them, you can. This change will only happen if you set a sleep pattern goal and then work the plan to achieve it. Okay, two more things about sleep habits, uh, sleep patterns, and then we'll be done. First, I feel like sleep patterns can be highly dependent on the stage of life you're in. In other words, when you're young, invincible, and highly dependent on your social connections, it seems more likely for you to be out late at night. Then, later in life, when your level of responsibility rises, it seems more likely that you would be going to bed earlier in order to be up early and start the daily routine. Second, I feel like certain personality types might be drawn more to one versus the other, no matter what life stage you're in. So there's a chance that people who are very outgoing, extroverted, and driven by a desire to have exciting experiences may tend to be more night people, as this is when much of the exciting stuff happens. Conversely, people who are more introverted, quiet, and enjoy living their own lives inside their own heads at times uh, might tend more to be morning person, morning people, when it's quiet, right? When they can think, when the world calms down and is quiet. Now, both of these are highly stereotypical statements, and the minute you make statements like this, you stick your foot in your mouth. For example, I'm guessing there are lots of adventurous people out there who get up in the morning early, right? They exercise, they surf, they hike, etc. And similarly, there are probably a lot of introverts and artists artistic type who stay up late at night working on projects. However, a stereotype exists for a reason, right? Stereoty stereotypes exist because they tend to be the majority, because most of the results lean in that direction. So that's it. I think we'll move on from the whole sleep pattern thing, but I just found it interesting. 
and fascinating as I prepared for today's topic, which is transcending normal. In this episode, we're going to talk about what is normal anyway, competing desires, and being in the world, but not of the world. Number one, what is normal anyway? As always, let's define the term first. Dictionary.com has a lot to say about the word normal. In fact, the definition is a lot more complex than other definitions we've discussed before. Why? I have no idea, but there are this definition is actually broken out into different categories based on where you would be using the word, which is pretty cool. So here are just a few of them. First, as a basic ag- adjective, um, normal means conforming to the standard or the common type, usual, not abnormal, regular, natural, serving to establish a standard. Then in the world of psychology, uh, it refers to the approximate average in a psychological trait, such as intelligence, personality, or emotional adjustment, free from any mental disorders, or sane. Then in the biological or the medical field, Uh, Normal means free from any infection or other form of disease or malformation, or from experimental therapy or manipulation. Natural. Then in the world of mathematics, normal is being at right angles as a line, perpendicular, pertaining to a mathematical normal. Then there was a bunch of other stuff that I didn't understand. Next, you have the chemistry field, containing one equivalent weight of one constituent in question in one liter of solution. Again, a bunch of stuff I don't understand, and there was even more after that that I didn't understand. But let's pull out a few concepts. So in those uh, explanations or those uh, definitions, I saw words like standard, common, regular, average, natural. All good words, right? But very similar to the word normal in that they aren't defining anything specifically. They are simply suggesting that you are somewhere in the middle of something. And this is why we get the common phrase, what is normal anyway? When someone says, yeah, she's normal, or conversely, that dude is so not normal, uh, what does that even mean? Since the definition of the word, word itself isn't specific, how can we really know what the people mean when they say things like that? The truth is we can't really know because being normal is highly subjective and is based on hundreds and hundreds of things, attributes, categories, groupings, things like your culture, the society you live in, the family you grew up in, the friends you have, the school you go to, the neighborhood you live in, the career you've chosen, the religious or spiritual path you're on, uh, how you identify in terms of gender, East Coast versus West Coast, what country you're from, and the list just goes on and on and on. In each of these settings or groupings, people will try to define what it means to be normal. For example, in your high school, there were kids that were considered normal, and then there were kids that did not fit into that definition. The normal kids probably all wore clothes that were popular at the time. They probably got average grades to above average. They probably did things that weren't allowed, but only to a level that didn't get them into serious trouble. And they probably went to school functions, got along with most of the teachers, and would say that they enjoyed their high school experience. Then there were kids that fell outside of that. So kids who wore clothing just to make statements. So back in the day, there was the goth crowd that 
that wore all black and, and wore black fingernail polish and black eyeliner. Uh, you know, kids who did illegal things and were often in trouble. Uh, kids who listened to music that nobody had ever heard before. Uh, kids who were too smart. Kids who weren't smart enough. Kids who never attended school functions. Kids who fought with teachers, teachers, pets, etc. All people who felt outside of that normal grouping that we created for ourselves. And the same goes for each of the settings or groupings we listed. You can try to determine what is normal in each of these separately. But the truth is, we aren't only one of those settings or those groupings. Each of us lives lives in each of those areas, which is extremely complex. So to determine if we fall into the normal category, we would need some sort of crazy mathematical equation that could take into, consider all of, into consideration all of the variables at play. Or... Maybe we can just agree that pinning the, the label of normal or abnormal on someone shouldn't even be a thing. Maybe because it's so vague, we should just stop using the term altogether. Number two, competing desires. So that's an interesting idea, right? Remove the concept of normal from our thinking altogether. But is that even possible? I mean, we are so hardwired to judge things. On some level, it's core to who we are. We want to label things as right or wrong, good or bad, pure or evil, and in doing so, we create a category in the middle that we call normal. And on some level, it's a category everyone wants to be in, right? If you asked a person, do you want people to view you as normal? Wouldn't most people respond, well, yeah, of course. I mean, I want people to see me as normal. And yet, the minute we get into that spot, we realize that we have competing desires, a tension that creeps in and keeps us on edge. So what are these two competing desires? Let's talk about that now. Desire number one, the desire to be like everyone else or to fit in. Desire number two, the desire to be unique in some way and to stand out. Interesting, right? We spent our entire life trying to fit in, to be like everyone else, to be normal. Then we get there and we find ourselves doing little things to stand out, to be different, to be unique competing desires for sure, and this is the tension we find ourselves in each and every day. So what does this look like? Well, here's a few few illustrations. So living in the right neighborhood and going to the right schools, but painting your front door bright yellow so it stands out on your block. Uh, driving a car like everyone else, but putting an aftermarket muffler on it so people will hear you coming. Maybe it's enjoying sporting events like everyone else, but then wearing a jersey specific to your team so people will see your loyalty. Or dressing in clothes that are common and in style, but buying one or two items that really stand out. Maybe it's hanging out with a small group that all come from a similar uh, religious background, but then throwing out your one belief that's a little bit off just so people will see that you're different. Simple illustrations, really, just people trying to be normal and yet unique at the same time. Have you felt that tension? Do you see yourself in any of those situations? Think back to when you were in high school. I'm sure you can see examples of it then. As teenagers, you're in the middle of a tumultuous time. You're experiencing what psychologists refer to as individuation. It's a phase where you're actively pursuing your identity. Up to that point, your identity is largely based on your parents and your family. But as a teenager, getting closer to adulthood, you have to start pulling away from that identity and forming your own. 
And this is where the competing desires come in, right? As a teenager, you want so badly to be accepted. You strive to be normal, whatever that means to you and the friends around you. But at the same time, you're also struggling with who you want to be. You're trying to decide what will make you unique from others. And you want to explore those things as well, while still being viewed as normal, of course. Uh, The struggle is real, or so they say. But it isn't just during the teen years. It might be the most difficult during those years, but as adults, we play the same game every day. We want to fit in with people. We want to be unique at the same time. Number three, be in the world, but not of the world. So up until this point, we've been talking about normal in very general terms, almost worldly terms, if you will. I haven't really thrown any religious or spiritual stuff at you, but at the same time, that's exactly where we need to go next because that's the journey we're on. Uh, If we are truly transcending human, then we must stop thinking of everything in simple worldly terms. We have to understand the spiritual side, that there is a controversy going on between God and Satan for each and every one of us. And that this is ultimately where everything needs to go back to. It's the filter through which uh, we really make important life decisions, parenting decisions, relationship decisions, career decisions, location decisions, and yes, even decisions on how normal we need to be in this life. And of course, when we have spiritual decisions to make or spiritual questions, we let the Bible do the talking. In this case, the closest thing I found to instruction on or answers to being normal is the phrase, be in the world, but not of the world, which, interestingly enough, is not even in the Bible. (laughs) I mean, did you know that? I didn't. In fact, I opened up Bible.com to search for this phrase, and I couldn't find it. I've heard it so many times that I just assumed it was an actual verse in the Bible, Um, but it's not there, and at least not in so many words. So the phrase is used all the time by pastors and teachers, but it isn't actually in the Bible. It's a phrase that has been made up based on other verses in the Bible. So here are two verses that that kind of stand out as being used to form this phrase. John 17, 14 through 16. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So really, when you put these two uh, verses together, you kind of get the building blocks for the phrase we talked about at the beginning. In the first verse, we see God saying that he isn't wanting to take us out of the world. So he wants us to be here, to be in the world. But then at the same time, both verses talk about us being not of the world and that we need to be separate from it. So what does all this mean? And what does this all have to do with normal? Well, it has everything to do with being normal. Back to our competing desires. Desire number one, the desire to be like everyone else, to fit in, or in this case, to be in the world. Desire number two, the desire to be unique in some way, to stand out and to not be of the world. See how well that dovetails? This is a massive part of the human condition and a massive part of us working on transcending human. 
just as we wrestle with fitting in versus being unique as teenagers in our high school, so too we must wrestle with fitting in or being unique spiritually. The two verses above suggest that we need to be in the world, so we don't hide ourselves away in monasteries or religious centers where everyone is just like us. We don't become hermits hiding in our homes from the outside world. We don't shelter our kids in an attempt to keep them from understanding the world around them. We live and interact with those around us in order for them to see what it means to transcend human. But in order for them to see that there is something different about us, there has to actually be something different about us. There has to be something unique. And this is what it means when it says to not be of the world. Being of the world is attempting to be so normal that you disappear into the culture. You don't stand out in any way. People look at you and say, oh, they're just like me. Your behavior is so much like the world's that you don't turn heads. You don't even look different. And nobody would ever think to ask you about your behavior or your beliefs because there is nothing unique about you. Now, I'm trying to make this as simple as we have time for, um, since we only meet for a few minutes each week. But this is so much bigger than I have time to explain. I mean, I could probably do an entire podcast series on what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. Then again, at the same time, I probably don't need to. Because, as it turns out, each of the topics that we address on this show are simple pieces, small pieces, of this very thing, right? Baby steps toward transcending human. Baby steps that allow us to remain in the world, but make it obvious that we are not of the world. And this is really the ultimate objective when it comes to transcend human. It's finding those small steps that we can take to rise above the human condition. Steps that help us grow into the person our creator had in mind, and steps that make us unique in the world around us. And at the end of the day, it's that uniqueness that will get other people to ask questions like, why do you do this? Or why don't you do that? Or why do you always seem to handle things well? Why are you so stable? Uh, why do you seem content most of the time? And how did your kids turn out so well? All questions that people will ask because they see something different in you. So let's land the plane. This week, my challenge to you is to think seriously about the concept of being normal. Is being normal a high value for you? If so, how high is it? Has it been so important to you that you've given up some of your uniqueness? And when it comes to the spiritual side of things... What does living in the world look like for you right now? Uh, does it mean that you're of the world as well? Or have you been able to stand out and not be of the world? My hope for you this week is that you can be in the world, but live in such a way that your spiritual uniqueness shines through. Uh, may others see a difference in us and be compelled to ask, why are you different? What is it about you? And where can I find what you've found? As always, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, can't wait to be with you again next week. Until then, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels.
If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, There's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, This will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, Thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.